Welcome to the new year, everybody. 2020 was what it was. And as we embark on this new year, I want to welcome you and thank you for how closely you've been listening over the years. You know, the first episode of this podcast was in January of 2014. It's a long time to be having this conversation, a long time to be having the conversation with you and with the people I get to talk to on the pod. I keep being inspired by the guests on the podcast. I keep getting to grow because of the things I learn from them and because of the things I learn from you when you reach out to me either on Twitter or via email. And I wanted to start the year off with Ron Howard because to me, his approach to working together, to leading by always thinking about the project, not about his ego or what he wants, by always being as kind as he can to everyone with whom he interacts. He's somebody who I look to as a beacon in a way of how to do things right in the film and television businesses and as a working artist in a position of some responsibility. I probably fall short of uh, being um, as constantly and consistently Uh, sweet as Ron Howard is. But for me, this is uh, a great place to start the year. I have some excellent podcasts coming up that we recorded over the last couple of weeks, uh, including Rick Rubin, Doc Rivers, and I can't wait to keep this conversation going for even longer. So as one of our last guests of last year might put it, welcome to the working week. And let's kick it off with Ron Howard. Hey, this is The Moment. I'm Brian Koppelman. Thanks for listening. What a great pleasure it is to have the brilliant and legendary Ron Howard on The Moment today. Um, Ron Howard is one of, you know, twice nominated, once winning, uh, Academy Award winning director and producer. Uh, He has directed some of all of our favorite movies. Some of your movies, Ron, I have found to be so helpful in this moment. Uh, I've watched Frost Nixon like three times over the last year and a half. And, um, and I want to talk to you a little bit about the making of that movie. His new movie, Hillbilly Elegy, has uh, stirred up a lot of conversation uh, based on J.D. Vance's book and is worth watching, thinking, and talking about. And I got to meet Ron a few years ago, and we've kind of been in touch since. And um, I really appreciate you being here, Ron. Of course, it's great. Nice to talk to you again. It's been it has yes. uh, it, it's been it's been a little while, um, but uh, you uh, by hook or by crook, you keep managing to do great stuff. So uh, well, thank you. Yeah, fun. you've uh, you're. I'll say when when you sort of told us and sent word to us that you liked our show, Billions. It really meant the world to all of us. It really put wind in our sails, and um, it was a meaningful thing to all of us. So thanks for that. All right, now here here's where I have to start. Uh, something that's Fascinating. I mean, you've been interviewed a million times and your life story is fairly well known, but there's something that I've not really heard you talk about much. And it's fascinating to me since I was a kid and first saw this, this movie 
And I think it, it, it ties you to a certain kind of Hollywood. And I, I got to ask you what it was like working with Jimmy Stewart, John Wayne, and Don Siegel. Because Don <laughs> Siegel, to me, is such a legend. In the movie The Shootish, John Wayne's last movie, I saw that movie as a boy, Ron, and it, it had such a huge impact on me. Of course, I didn't know Don Siegel was at the time. But I have to ask you, like, what was that? You'd had a storied career already, but what was it like to walk on a set with those three people? Well, it, it came at a, at a really uh, interesting, um, important time because I was, I was so focused on becoming a, a, a director. And so here, having yes. this chance to work with Don Siegel was, was, was fascinating. Um, but as is often the case, you know, you wind up learning, you know, sort of more from one aspect of an experience than than uh, than than the one you might have anticipated you were you were gonna you were gonna grow from. So you know, Siegel was great, and I and I and I did learn uh, a lot. Um, the and, but John Wayne, uh, I was fascinating to me, and and I I went I went into it certainly appreciating. John Wayne's success, his legend. I was, I'm a huge John Ford fan. I knew it was going to be an opportunity to, to, you know, to get a lot of great stories and, and, and insight. I'd already had that experience once when I acted, uh, with Henry Fonda on a failed TV series called the Smith family. And, um, but I, I'd learned, you know, I'm able to, to sort of pick, uh, Fonda's brain a little bit and learn a lot. Uh, but, um, it was very interesting um, and of course it turned out to be his last film. Yes. Everyone was very intimidated and he and Don Siegel got off on the wrong foot, like right away. Oh no, really? Right away. Yeah. And you know, he, he, uh, um, yes, Siegel was a tough guy, you know, a tough, yeah. tough, uh, tough minded and, and, uh, right away, like a first or second day of shooting in Carson city, Nevada, Siegel yes. is quoted in the little local paper. You know, it's not a national publication, but it's but it, it 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 was enough to piss off John Wayne, and he showed it to me. And and Siegel said, uh, "Well, it's 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 great working with John Wayne. You know, uh, um, this is a, a fantastic script, and he's 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 perfect casting. I I know they say that uh, that uh, John Wayne likes to eat directors for breakfast." Well, if if he takes a bite out of me, he's going to get indigestion. <laughs> he said that. And I, he said that in the he, paper. He said as that they the were paper. starting to shoot. Day two, day, day two. That's amazing. And we're we're walking along, and John Wayne, who's now 74, 75 years old, only has one lung. We're in, you know, we're in the elevation there. He's wheezing, walking along, and we got to know each other a bit in rehearsal. He liked me right away because I came out of television. And to him, the one reelers that he graduated out of were the, the TV of his era. So he sure. appreciated people who kind of had that, that sort of, uh, you know, could work at tempo and, and had a kind of can-do practical uh, approach to things. And, uh, and I had found out that everyone was intimidated and no one would ever ask him to rehearse, but I liked to run the lines. And I just offered that up to him and he loved that. And I don't think anybody oh, had great. really been running lines with him in a while. So he and I, had a good professional rapport going, uh, you know, as it, it's, uh, not equal footing, but it was, uh, but it was, of course, but so anyway, we're walking along in Carson city 
And he says, let me show you this. I can't really do a John Wayne imitation. But he says, yeah. he'll eat me. You know, if he eats me, <laughs> if he takes a bite out of me, he'll get indigestion. Why the fuck did he have to say that? Oh, my God. And yeah. it was on. It was just on from from then on. And and uh, um, so, you know, I I I, I learned uh, uh, three big things. One is um, that the star has more power than the director. <laughs> uh, mm. And at a certain point, John Wayne was so fed up with the way Siegel was sort of staging things and shooting them. And he thought it was unflattering that he literally like would glare at a camera if it was a low angle that he thought was, was yes. uh, unflattering. And, and he'd go, ah, what the hell? And he'd start waving to the dolly grip and the dolly grip would slide the camera over. And, and then, he'd, then he'd like gesture to raise the camera and the dolly grip would, would raise the camera. And all Siegel could do was sort of turn and walk away. And he, and I talked, and I was in a situation where I was having like really um, comfortable conversations with, with both, both men. And, um, and Siegel said, hey, you know, I knew, he knew I wanted to be a director and he was giving me all kinds of great insights and, you know, tricks that I've, I've, I've applied ever since. But, you know, he said, look, after, after about a week where the star's footage is in the can, you know, uh, if somebody has, is going to go, it's going to be the director. And I, and I, and I love this picture and I want to finish it. And, uh, and, um, so, you know, whatever it takes. Uh, but, but it was very interesting to see that power dynamic. Wow. That's out. a hard lesson. That's a hard lesson to take in for a guy like Siegel who'd made movies like the killer, you know, the, like the, like oh, the killers yeah. who, who was, uh, and you know, went on and Dirty Harry. You know, a Dirty guy Harry. Really, He'd already done Dirty Harry. Uh, you know, and I, th I think he did. Uh, did he do Alcatraz after this? I think he did. Yeah, uh, yes, uh, Escape from Alcatraz, and he also did. Um, you know, he'd done The Killers in like '64 or something like that. Oh, he, that well, version. Well, well he of was The a, Killers. He was an A-list heavyweight at this point. You know, and uh, uh, and and yet, you know, it was John Wayne's production company, and it was his. He was the shootest, and. Uh, uh, and, you know, and it just was, a, it was fascinating for me to watch because I'd never, you know, I'd seen creative differences. I'd seen arguments. I'd never yes. seen a power struggle like that. And I was in this unusual position of getting along with both men and, 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 um, and, and their, their, their willingness to, to confide uh, in me. Uh, often as I was playing chess with John Wayne, he, he, he liked to play chess and I could just about keep up with him. I don't think, I think maybe I won once. He was, he was good and aggressive, just, just the way you'd expect him to a play. Of course he was. Yeah. Just attack, attack, attack. And, and Siegel, uh, you know, was, was, uh, wry and funny and, 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 uh, and, uh, and intellectual yet a product of the system. So he, you know, he yes. was, uh, very clear eyed about it all. And it was, it was a fascinating. Well, he was uh, going to make his days. I imagine Don Siegel, because he you know, came from that era of people where you just made your days. Right. Oh yeah. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, there was never really a, a struggle there. Uh, you know, no, the way, the way he stopped staged and shot was incredibly, uh, um, efficient, but I learned, I learned a lot, I learned a great deal. Well, one other question, then I want to talk about this learning thing. That's actually the next question I had written down to ask you, because you, you talk about this a lot, the way that you pick stuff up. And I'm going to, I'm going to ask about it because I think it's very instructive for the rest of us. 
when a huge star like uh, a John Wayne is on, of course, there are parallels to certain actors you've worked with, which I'll ask you about without we won't name them. But uh, there's led there are stories or legend about you managing certain actors who were challenging for other people. And I guess you started learning how to do that on, on this movie. Uh, but were you around when Jimmy Stewart first showed up and what happens to the to the sort of um, we're in rehearsal? Like what happens to the energy on set when? You know, the only guy more storied than John Wayne at that time is Jimmy Stewart. And and well, what happens to that power dynamic? Well, there there really was no power dynamic there because they were just old pals and and the and the role wasn't that big, so there was no rehearsal with Jimmy Stewart. You know, he was he was uh, doing three or four days. Uh as it was just a, a favor. And uh, to the extent that I got to work with him, I walked out of the saloon. No, he he yeah. walked out of the saloon and I walked in. So I I got to I got to sort of cross shoulder you cross uh, paths with him off camera only. But I, I had a chance to sit around and talk to him quite a bit. And uh, and 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 therefore once or twice in in later years, I, I had an opportunity to 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 really you know to just talk to him about favorite directors and and get and that get his sense of, of things. Uh, but so, so there was no, there, there, you know, it was really John, John Wayne's team, his, yes, his, sure. you know, his company and, uh, uh, Lauren Bacall, of course, kind of was, you know, she was sort of one of the only women around the whole project. And, but she, she had that, she had that glamour, uh, as, and, well, uh, of course, you yeah. know, and, and, but, 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 uh, you know, it was, it, it, it was fascinating. It was fascinating. It's a remarkable thing to have been a, a part of, and, and yeah. so many of the things you did. And and I will say, I've uh, there's this rap that Jimmy Stewart gives John about he's going to die. You got a cancer. I'm gonna. I'd have to gut you like a fish. That that is one of those first dialogue things that I and Dave and I talk about all the time. It's one of those moments that I first noticed dialogue in my life, like as a nine year old uh -huh. or something. Oh, I was like, yeah. wow, the way these people talk. That's fascinating yeah. to me. I, I was I, for a while. I was going to direct a version of the Alamo, which I didn't wind up doing. Uh, John Lee Hancock took took over yes. the production, and I stayed on as a producer. Many I don't know, fifteen years ago or so. Uh, I was really when I was developing it, really working on um, you know authentic um, uh, dialect and 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 trying to explore that. And um, several of the historians said that the shootist was among the two or three most authentic mm. uh, sounding movies yes. in terms of, in terms of spoken language which i thought was was really interesting they they also they loved the book true grit um yes. more than more than the than the than the movie and they liked ang lee's civil war movie a lot um forget the, the dragon something with the uh, dragon right or i don't know i forget the name of Toby it mcguire <laughs> yeah and they yeah. felt like it was just uh, you know uh uh spot on by the way i'll tell you a quick thing sorry this yes. is really a digression but um, so then when, when, when the Coen brothers, true grit came out yes, and you remember how distinctive Jeff Bridges accent was, it I was, really do. Yeah. I remember both the original true grit super well. And that I remember both well. Yeah. And, and it was really kind of out there to the point where, you know, it showed up in a few re reviews, uh, it, in, in, it kind of negatively, you know, like he was over the top or something. And, um, and, but it really rang a bell for me. And uh, I went and dug up these tapes of my grandfather, um, who, who, they, who never liked to travel. He was a hog farmer uh, in, in Kansas, and he didn't like to leave the place. But my dad would get him to send uh, audio tapes back and forth, and they'd sort of do these, these uh, sessions where they'd, we'd all talk around the tape recorder. Dad would send it off, and then he would do the same thing. 
and he, and and uh, Jeff's voice sounded so much like my grandfather from Kansas. It was uncanny. The drawl was almost identical. I love that. So uh, Jeff was uh, nowhere near over the top, uh, and um, and and you know, he was, uh, he was right on. He'd done his work. Yeah. You love that. Right. When, when the, when sometimes when people see the real thing, they actually can't accept it. I've noticed yeah. this too. When you're like, no, no, we weren't faking it. That's actually what that thing sounds or looks like. Yeah. And it's always that thing that somebody writes about and it gets you crazy. Cause you're like, no, no, that's really true. That's really how it goes. We worked very hard and we were very discerning about this. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. And then they go, no, they go, of course that's fake. It, it drives. Yes. I mean, those little things drive all of us crazy. Okay. There's nothing you can, there's nothing you can do about it. Ron, you, you often talk about how you learn from these experiences. And of course, you had a, a level of experience you got for yourself that very few ever, ever get any, anything like. And so many of us, and I'm sure you've noticed this, just go through life and experiences like kind of letting them happen to us or from this perspective of um, how am I going to get through this? Or, oh, these directors fighting with this actor, how's this going to affect me? How did you train yourself? Uh, because I think it's so valuable. Like, how did you train yourself to make a study of those things? Like to go, okay, I might, I might want to direct. I do want to direct. So I'm actually not going to get mired in this. I'm going to codify these lessons that I learn and take it forward. Like, what did you do? Would you ask questions of these people? Would you write stuff down at the end of the day? Did you just do deep thinking on the ride home? Like, how did that start for you of, okay, I can... I can take this and, and build a body of knowledge consciously because it seems you do it consciously. Well, I, it's, um, n you know, not as, uh, not as codified as I'd like it to have been. I, over these years, I should have done a better job of keeping notebooks and whatnot. But, but it really began very early for me on The Andy Griffith Show um, because there was a very collaborative, um, open kind of creative problem-solving process there. It wasn't let's toss out the script and wing it, although uh, Don Knotts and Andy Griffith occasionally did have to, if the episode was coming in short, they would do one of these two-person scenes that was quasi-improvised. And, right. uh, and uh, uh, mostly they would just write it with Aaron Rubin, the showrunner, kind of, you know, 15 minutes before they had to shoot it. And then they it would be, you know, one of those uh, classics that, that sort of proved that they were among the great comedy teams. Um, no doubt about it. Yeah. Uh, you know, yes. like going down to get a soda pop or you're, you know, trying to call for a date or whatever, any of those, those, those. Oh yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I'm 54, so I watched every episode. Uh, those, <laughs> I mean, I know every episode of the show. So yeah. Uh, well, yes. uh, the, uh, th those were all fillers, but they were the, they were the, they were the, uh, the gems, but watching that, um, problem solving happening. And that was a calm set. You know, Andy was an intense guy and could be intense, but he wasn't any kind of bully or, um, uh, you know, and when it came to that kind of creativity, he was a great audience, very encouraging and, and actors were allowed to speak, you know, and even, even me as a, as a, as a kid, uh, could try to contribute. But so I carried that, um, with me as a, and it, it was always kind of a model of how you can, how you can get things done, you know? And, um, and, you mean, and, you mean, I want to go slower. I want to go slower. You mean you watched, they were in a pickle. 
you were seven years old or whatever, but they were, right. you saw, oh, the episode's coming in short. They're not freaking out. They're not giving up. They're, they're figuring out how to solve this right. problem together. And you, right. you or, sort of consciously they, noticed it. Yes. Or, or, but I mean, just by osmosis, just by being around it or it's rehearsal. I, I mean, at the Thursday read through, um, the actors flagged that a scene didn't work on rehearsal. It still wasn't working. The writers come down, they talk about it. They stage it again. They go back. And by the time we're shooting it on Tuesday, um, you know, it's a different and better scene and, and everybody's happy or it never got better. And the actors have to accept it and do the right. best they can or whatever the outcome, you know, but there's a, there's a, there is something to that television tempo of, of knowing that at a certain point, you know, you're going to, you're going to shoot this scene and it's going to be on TV. Uh, and, yes. uh, yes. um, and, 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 and that's, that's the way, uh, you know, and, 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 and you're going to live through it. Um, and the, uh, um, so <clears throat> the, the next, the next real hurdle, I mean, I did, I did really observe this shootist situation because I hadn't seen much of that kind of, you know, head to head conflict. Um, before. Never were really you asking it. questions of the directors? Like when you were, cause, cause in a lot of oh, interviews you talk about how during this time you were trying to look like you knew you wanted to be a director. Would you actually say to yeah. the director, like, why are you setting up like this? Or how did you think about staging the scene? Or you know what I mean? I how did that? I'd usually wait for them to volunteer something, but they knew I was interested and I was probably showing uh, them my super eight shorts and, and, uh, you huh. know, asking them to read little scripts and things like that, that I was, that I was working on. Uh, but different people were sort of brilliant at different things. I, if I, if I was, if I was working with a, a, a technically, um, you know, highly adept experienced, um, director, I, I could pick up on that. They were, they were, you know, they were more of a technician than, a, than, a, than a, you know, a creative leader, but you know, yes. I, I could begin to see, and if I worked with them long enough over a period of a few episodes, you know, they they'd see that I was interested in how they use the B camera or, you know, right. or I might, I might say, you know, explain to me this crossing the line business. I've never really understood it. And they, they were the type that could sit down with and make a quick diagram um, and, and, uh, and help me understand those rules, which I now pretty readily break, but, but it's good to know them going in. Yeah. You, ha um, you have to know them. The, yeah, you got to the, know them. Uh, um, and, uh, but others would be, you know, um, it would just be, it would just be through observation. Like I remember one time finishing, um, a TV movie and I'd already done some directing, uh, some sound 16 millimeter shorts where I, I had professional actors and I felt like their performances were very stilted and I was disappointed in what I'd been able to get. And, and, and right at that moment, I wound up acting for superb, primarily TV director named Tom Grice. And, uh, um, it was this Lanford Wilson script of a Tennessee Williams story called The Migrants. Great cast, uh, Cloris Leachman and, and uh, Sissy Spacek, myself, Cindy Williams, as a matter of fact, right wow. after the film. Yeah. But uh, the, um, on the way home, I realized that, you know, of the, it was a 90 minute, probably shot in 15 days or something. Yes. And uh, I remember, so I worked 12 days and I thought, my, he's one of the best directors I've ever worked with. And I realized he'd only given me about three directions. Fascinating. And every oh, time he could see that I was, you know, misunderstanding something, 
going in the wrong direction, but he always, always, always wanted to see what I was going to come up with first. And that freedom was very liberating. So that was a, you know, there's an important lesson. George. Well, Lucas, that's a great lesson. And, and you took the time you, it's really important that you noticed it and noticed that the process was better, that the performance, you know, you had this thought first, wow, that was great experience. And then it was like, you asked the question almost, it sounds like, well, why? Oh, yes. he gave me less direction. Yeah. Uh, yeah. How does a director keep you um, buoyed without, I've been talking to actors about this a lot lately. Uh, um, uh, how, how, do you, how do you think about this as a director, uh, keeping the person buoyed enough to do the work without speaking to them too much or making them, um, you know, letting them find it, but keeping them encouraged? What well, is, I, what I your, try to, in the rehearsal period, I try to, I try to get a sense of, of how each actor works. It likes to be addressed, um, um, and, um, likes to talk about what they do. Some people want to delve deeply. Other people, you know, they, 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 they actually, they actually want, you know, line readings and very quick result yep. oriented directions, which is generally supposed to be a, a, an absolute no, no. Um, but, um, Tom Hanks is one of those guys who just says, no, just say faster or not good enough or slower or louder or more emotional or anything you want. That's what all I need. I'll figure it out. I'll figure out how to, how get do you there. figure this out during rehearsal run? What do you do to figure that out during rehearsal? Well, Are you by asking them the little. question? <laughs> no, you just What's say, that? well, I, I do ask people, I said, do you have any pet peeves? Um, sure. and, and sometimes they'll, you know, early on, we'll, we'll, we'll tell you. And sometimes they, they won't, but, um, you, um, you know, you, you, you just explore. And of course I've, I've done it long enough that I can quickly pick up yes. on, on somebody's, uh, MO, but it's very important. Um, like on a movie like cocoon, I had our, the four yes. male leads all worked very, very differently. And, um, and, and, and they all needed to be great. And it, and it needed to be this cohesive bunch of pals. But, you know, you had uh, Wilford Brimley who was this gr grumpy, but guy, but consummate Im improvisational actor who was bringing so much truth and reality to it that I was really giving him his head um, because he was just, it was pretty magical uh, what he was giving us. And, but Don Amici, who was an old school Hollywood hit yes. the marks, say the words as written actor. And right. um, uh, the writer Dennis Klein was, was helping on that with a lot of rewrites and, and, and through the rehearsals and maybe the first week of shooting, Dennis was around and, and he actually started slipping Don Amici little on little pieces of paper in quotes, improvs so that Don right. could wing out a line and feel like he was sort of part of the, part of that club. Um, and oh, that's um, brilliant, know, Ron. That it, is a brilliant it, move on your part to figure well, that it, out. It you was, didn't want him to feel like it was uh, like it had passed him by. And that's so right. you, you, you uh, were, you were being really, so it sounds like you're really trying to study them, not only the performances, but what, what's going on with them as human beings during this. Well, I want them to be able to maximize these opportunities. You know, I feel like that, um, you know, that, that one of the things that I, that I have to be the keeper of the story, which means I need to understand, you know, what really are the objectives and, you know, cinematically, what can we do, but what do the actors need to do to, um, you know, achieve what's written and, and, and maybe take it further even. And, um, so, um, I'm always trying to create the environment where, uh, the, 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 the key, you know, the, the key factors in the production, key production 
department heads and, and talent um, can really flourish. And within the framework of what I believe, um, along with the writer and the producer, you know, what I believe is, is, is sort of the, the vital objectives. And, and then I have this other rule that I, I uh, developed a while back called, I just call it the six of one rule, which means if somebody comes up with an idea, a cinematographer for a shot, uh, a gaffer f with a lighting idea, um, uh, an actor with an improv or a, or a, or a, or a choice that they want to take. I, I just quickly try to understand, does it still achieve the objective that I think is essential mm. and elemental? And if it still does, even though it's not quite the way I imagined trying to, trying to achieve it, I try to use that person's choice because it's organic to them. They're not doing what I'm telling them or what the script says it they're supposed to do. They're doing something that they trust and understand. And I think there's an X factor there at work that has, um, you know, tremendous yes. value. Yeah, I understand that completely. And I have to ask, since you're going through that, the, the cocoon people, what was, what was the mode that you did? Danny, he's one of my favorite actors who ever, like, I, I watch yeah, Brian Danny, he's do anything. He's great. And uh, people would say he was challenging at times. Like I was waved off a couple of times. Um, oh, he wasn't, in, 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 wasn't for me at all. Um, not, not one bit. He was just a pro's pro and, and uh, loved his role. I think he um, and I were completely on the same page, you know, ab ab about that. Um, and, uh, no, I, I found him an, an absolute, uh, pleasure. Good. I mean, Wil he was just Wilford was very difficult on that at times. Um, and it was very, it was kind of bizarre because again, he's very, Wilford was very truthful, you know, his improvs and all, it never were for effect. They, it was, it was seeking some truth that he understood and could connect to. And at a certain point in shortly after he kept during rehearsal, he kept saying, could we just take all the aliens out of this? Why can't it just be about the people? <laughs> and, and I said, well, Wilford now, it, you know, that's not, that's not the story. Um, but you know, so then we didn't, of course the aliens weren't there. They were, they were, uh, you know, a, 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 a green tennis ball stuck yeah, in the well, you top. Can't, I was going to say, you can't make the movie without the pods though. You need those pods. <laughs> it doesn't work without the pods. He, uh, he thought the people were everything and, and he just didn't understand why we had to bother with this science fiction stuff. And, um, so I started trying to keep him away from that cause it was kind of, uh, it was sort of, uh, uh, annoying him. And, and yes. then I found out like he had a couple of scenes where he had to talk to the aliens and, and it was, I could see that was going to be a real struggle for him, but, uh, he had kind of, you know, had taken a shine to one of the stand-ins, um, yes. all, all perfectly appropriate. I don't want to yes, say understood. I understand. No, I understand. He'd taken a shine to, the, he'd yeah. taken a shine and, to this person. And yeah. I asked her to read, to be the aliens off camera, which Smart. today, if I was doing it, I would have somebody assigned to that. I mean, I would actually, I would actually have, I'd have somebody to be actors to play parts yes. instead of having the script person or somebody. The script supervisor that. would just read it, but instead of that, yeah, you yeah. have actually an and, actor and there looking now. looking at a, at a freaking tennis like ball. I should have been yes. out in front of that one. But it certainly, it made a world of difference to him. And he was willing to do that. Like even in scenes where he was saying, I don't want to look at the alien. Well, if I put her there and she's saying the line, he'd look. And so he kind of enjoyed the gamesmanship. We had a lot of little, we had a lot of little games going on. Like well, at one point, one scene, he was supposed to get very angry. He's taking an eye test and, and they're telling him he's, he can't pass his test and he's upset about it. And uh, he wasn't really getting angry enough in my, in my mind. 
And he, I, you know, I gave him the direction, sort of didn't do it, tried again, still didn't quite do it. So then he, he had a pet peeve as a lot of actors do. He hated uh, walkie talkies on the set because they're always going, is Wilford walking? Yes. <laughs> Get <Robert Yes>. Wilford. <laughs> and it just, it was just yes. annoying yeah. for him. You know, he, yeah. he it, it's a, uh, so, so I, uh, he, he went out the door to make his entrance and I said, uh, um, put the walkie talkie right there and, um, read the lines to him over the walkie. So I had the off camera actor read the lines o uh, over the walkie and Wilford looked down at it and was startled. And then he decided to go with it and he played all the way through it and got really angry and really pissed off. And then at the end, um, he just, you know, he grabbed the walkie talkie and like smashed it very theatrically down on the counter and Perfect. Out. But he understood what yeah. you were. I mean, he understood what you were I doing. I think he did. Sure, he did. And, you know, and he went with it. And uh, when the movie was uh, such an incredible success, did he ever say to you, "Like, nice job"? No, no, no. Well, we, we, we unfortunately, he didn't. We didn't end on great terms because uh, as the production went on, he became, I think, less and less patient with things. Um, and uh, and it was it was unfortunate because I thought that was such a pivotal movie in my life. And, uh, um, and yet we never, we never really spoke again, I, you know, kind of hello at the ADR session sure. and, and that was it, but he was, uh, you know, he, well, the he, direct, those things happen. The director has to try. I mean, it's really, it's really challenging and you've been amazing at being able to repeat over and over with people who other people find really challenging at Giamatti, who's the easiest, greatest person award. I mean, just the best. Right. He, right. I asked him last night and he said to say hi to you. And, and he said, you know, uh, you were the best. He he said every just what you're saying that he felt like you completely were able to lock into what an actor needed. You didn't talk when it wasn't necessary, but you were there when it was, and it was great to hear the way he spoke about. Oh, that's it. high praise. That's uh, high praise. Say hi to and, all who's just uh, remarkable. How did you train yourself to keep your ego out of it when number one on the call sheet shows up seven hours late? Well, it that's really difficult. And, and, uh, but, um, uh, you know, I, it's, and I want to say, wait, I want to say to everyone that is not Paul Giamatti. He was never, he no, would never not, show up late in a million it's years. Not, it's not Paul ever. Uh, I'm just saying I, in, in general in a movie without naming anyone, but how do you deal yeah. with that fact, that kind of thing? And, you know, at a certain point, again, it's a little bit like what Don Siegel's saying, or I've often, you know, I, I do a lot of baseball analogies, but it's, yep. it's uh, you know, at a certain point, uh, no one was particularly fond of Barry Bonds, but you'd certainly, well, yep. you'd put him in the lineup every single day. And if anybody complained about it, you, you know, you, you, yep. you'd, you'd say, you're managing this team. You're not, you're not, you're not batting, you're not batting him fourth. Uh, or third or wherever, wherever third, Bond's yeah. at it. Right. <laughs> and, uh, both, um, both, the, uh, yeah. um, so, you know, I, it, it's, uh, I don't feel I'm the boy's vice principal who has to, um, guide everyone's etiquette. Um, but I'm trying to be protective of other actors, uh, of yes. course, and, 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 a, and a process. And when the process affects other people, um, you know, that's when I'm more willing to, to, uh, to step in. But and I guess try what to... I'm asking you is what I guess what I'm asking you, because I think it's useful for people is our business is one in which because of how much people had to fight to get where they, you know, because of all the stuff that, that you understand, 
Mm. Ego, a lot of the time, drives so many interactions on sets and when dealing with execs and actors and and mm. how do you consciously take yourself out of that game so that you're able so that you're able to manage that kind of thing an actor not wanting to say the lines in the scene or wanting to sh you know show up late or change the order so many of us get triggered or like you know hooked yeah. into suddenly yeah well it's hard not to be right? triggered and i and i'm not i'm not perfect with it but it, to me i uh, the reason i stay out of a lot of those conflicts is yes. because um i do have a lot of respect for people e even people who i may not 100 percent respect their you know choice their behavior the way they handle themselves yes if, if i probably if i didn't respect them as an artist they wouldn't be there That's and right. if i didn't feel that they were going to um elevate what we were trying to do uh, with a with a with a with a story and a and a and a script, I you know they wouldn't be there. So I, I think I always go back to what does this mean? To, what does this mean to the movie? Right. What does this mean to the film? And so when people are late, I don't you know I go in and I say, well, this is rough on everybody, but it's really rough on the film. And um, often that works. Sometimes it sometimes it just doesn't because the person is is in some kind of a, of a m emotional, physical spin, that, sure. you know, that sure. is limited as to, you know, how much they're willing to, 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 uh, cooperate. That hasn't happened very many times in, in my experience, but in the experiences that were, that were the most, um, acute, um, I wouldn't trade their performance in that movie for all yes. the o overtime or of irritation course. or embarrassment. That I might have felt at not being able to get that performer, you know, uh, in makeup and on the marks, uh, you but know. That's on, an incredible on thing. That, that that's an incredible thing, Ron. The ability to keep in mind the editing room, which is something I had to train myself to do. I was once on a movie where somebody was just every day they just drove me so crazy with all that kind of you know upstaging, you know, all the stuff mm -hmm. that sometimes yeah. people do. Yeah. And then I got in the editing room and I was like, oh, I'm so. Glad. I'm so great. I love this person. You know, that whole thing. <laughs> but, uh, you know what I mean? You kind of fall yeah. in love with them then when you're in the editing room. And uh, I'm, you're able to somehow, you trained yourself, I guess, from all these experiences to just keep that in mind the whole time in a way. Yeah. Kind of like when a golfer keeps the hole in mind when he's looking at the ball. Right. Um, you're it, somehow able, I guess, to keep the end result in mind. And so you can handle that embarrassment because that embarrassment drives, I've found that embarrassment can drive you crazy when the set feels like it's not in your control when you're supposed yeah. to be in control. Well, that's, that's, that is a terrible feeling. And, and, and unfortunately, you know, the other thing about, about directing and, you know, I don't know if you feel this on, on a, on a show running level or not, but you know, it is a humbling job. I find it. Yeah, I find, oh my God. I find oh my my, God every day yeah. I feel stupid, you know, lots of times I miss yes. things. Uh, and, uh, um, and, and, uh, but I, um, but I, but I find it also fascinating. It's, it's, uh, uh, it, it, you know, rewarding on so many, so many different levels. Um, and, and it's, a you know, it's a, it's a, it's a tremendous way of life. And, and, and I also just learned so much, uh, and, um, you know, about, yes, about the world and, 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 and the medium keeps changing. 
and the you know well, as yes. as the aesthetics yes. broaden globally, um, as uh, sensibilities shift, as audience tastes you know um, change or broaden into a more global audience. Um, I mean, there are all of these factors which really keep the process fresh, stimulating, challenging, and and yes. uh, um, and you know it, one of the one of the greatest one of the one of the greatest um, uh, uh, sort of aspects of 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 the diversity movement is beyond the obvious social value and meaning of it and 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 uh, um, and the, the the sort of the shame that everyone should feel uh, in power who who didn't notice or was reluctant to act or any of any of those things which I sort of you know, I admittedly throw myself uh, into that group with, as I said, shame. But one of the great things is this, um, this exciting broadening of the, of the, just the language of, uh, yes. of, 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 of cinema, which you're, which, uh, which you're finding on, you know, on every single platform, the way things oh, look and sound. And everybody's understanding, exciting, you know, embracing, uh, and and the medium is uh, is growing. It's a really difficult time to be the company that is the has the checkbook and has to figure out how much to invest in what. That I I don't envy those folks those 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 particular jobs well, right yeah, you, now. But but it's great to be a to be a maker. It's great to be. Well, a I was thinking about this. I was thinking about this watching Hillbilly Elegy because. Uh, I had this great thing before the credits rolled. I was watching the the, the footage or before I looked the thing up. Uh, and I, I was like thinking about how all this has stayed engaging to you after such an illustrious career and so long doing this. And then I have this life, Dave and I for years have wanted to work with Maurice Alberti. And mm -hmm. we got her to shoot one day or day and a half on a documentary once. And it was like, mm -hmm. I can't tell you how exciting it was to have Maurice shoot yeah. for us. <laughs> and great. I didn't know she shot your movie. And mm. then I watched the beginning of the movie and I saw the way the camera was moving and I saw um, what was going on. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. I've never seen Ron shoot like this. And then I saw her name and I and it made me so happy because I thought, well, this is a director who's pushing himself still. This is a director who like went out to find the perfect DP to help him tell this story in a way he hadn't told other stories. And I wanted to ask you, like, did that, is that part of what keeps it so engaging to you? Like, hey, I'm going to work with this woman who's known for docs or she shot The Wrestler, but she doesn't right. really do this kind of movie. Right. And I just thought, wow, that, I don't know, I just loved it, Ron. And I felt like this well, is a thank guy you. Thank you. who's just thank willing you. to take that kind of thank shot. And also, Maurice is hard to convince to do things, so I love that you got her to do it, you know. Well, she, she, um, she liked the project, and, and, in, a, and in a way... Uh, you know, in, when I began having conversations with Maurice, she she also um, she related to it, even though her childhood was, you know, uh, the French uh, yeah. yes small small village in in in, in France. Um, she's still connected to a large extent with some of the issues that our story touched on, which was one of the things that I found when we started actually shooting it is that. Um, you know, every, it, sort of everybody from all walks of life in every corner of the of the of the country, or even the globe, as it relates to Maurice. Um, you know, the, the, they found 
uh, a lot of their own experience in J.D. Vance's family's story. And I, I, I didn't quite um, expect that, but it became apparent to me, uh, you know, as, as we were shooting it and, uh, um, you know, and also in our audience screenings and the, well, and it the, became apparent and, to and me too when it's come out. Well, you know, for all the blowback and, and I, I don't want to talk about it at all actually, but what's fascinating is if you look at the, the, the human beings response to that movie, they love it. And well, it's the largest um, differential I've ever, ever had between, you know, critics consensus, uh, and audience satisfaction numbers by, I mean, uh, yes. by, by, uh, 20, 30%. I mean, it's, it's, uh, um, been, it's, that's been really, really a head scratcher and, and, uh, frustrating in, to some extent, but, yeah, but in, in another way, I guess, just interesting and kind of, kind of satisfying. And I'm glad it's playing to audiences as we, as we thought it in speaking to audiences in the way that we hoped it would. It's clear it's speaking to audiences. And, and I imagine it's, of course you would feel frustrated, but it's hard to understand how it would still how it would still to you after all this time and all this success be frustrating. But of course, as an artist, you make a piece and you want, ev you want everyone to get it. But yeah. didn't, didn't you think when, when you were making it, you had to understand what a lightning rod JD is and what that book was. And especially during these divisive times, people are reviewing him. They're not reviewing the movie, Ron. Yeah. They're reviewing well, what they think yeah, is well, a guy who's going to become run for president someday. That's what they're, <laughs> yeah. no, that's they're, what they're I reviewing. Right. Yeah. yeah I, well, I mean, to to, uh, to you know, to some extent, and I haven't really read read them all, so I don't. I'm not very, uh, uh, so, yes. you know, sort of scientific about it or comprehensive is the right word. Uh, I think when we got involved in it, I, you know, yes, I knew it was controversial uh, in some circles, but I really had a lot of confidence that if we told JD's story and the and the and the uh, the project itself um, d was, um, not overtly political or didn't, um, uh, you know, sort of d delve into the socio-political positions that he was sort of presenting in the book, um, that people would, would sort of, including critics, uh, would, would, would see it for what I saw in it, which was, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a powerful, relatable, um, truthful, uh, depiction of, 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 of a family in crisis and, um, and, and that the, the cultural side of it were, that was specific to that family and, and interesting, but that the real thematics ha did, had, you know, everything to do really with, the uh, um, the dynamics of, of, of family history and, yes. um, and, and coming to terms with the, you know, the, what, what your version of that, of uh, sort of the, the the next generation of that family was going to be and choose to be, um, and what what strengths and you know you, you would take with you and what you and what you'd overcome. I mean, I think it's an amazing thing about what you do and and why I was thinking about this. So many of your movies are movies I made it a point to see the, either the night they came out or the week that they came out. Like, you know, uh, I remember taking my son to see Cinderella Man the, the, the night it came out. I remember seeing Frost Nixon the night it came out. And because uh, you have a way, and I'll tell you enough, of, of making uh, these stories relatable to this incredible broad 
intersection of Beautiful Mind also. I saw it the night it came out. Uh, so many of them. But recently I went, and it's the last movie I got to see in the Paris theater. And I went and I saw Pavarotti <laughs> the day it came out at the Paris theater. I think and you emailed alone, me, in fact. Thank you. Yeah. I went, oh, I, did I email you? I'm so glad yeah. I did. Oh, that's great. I went and I said, I, I don't remember that, but I went and saw it alone, you know. And how did you... You know, when, when you are considered and you are a popular filmmaker, right? You're making art, move, art, but you're making popular movies. And what I found is that Pavarotti operates so hard for people and so difficult. And yet the situation, you found those women and uh, through them, we come to understand the effect that this guy had. And then through that footage you found of him young singing for the first times, who are you thinking of when you're making those movies? Are you the audience? Are you thinking yes. of an audience? Yes. What's happening? Well, there? no, I'm 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 primarily the audience, and 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 uh, um, and I'm also and I've found I've been able to uh, you know to to apply more of what I've learned over the years doing um, you know scripted uh, narrative uh, storytelling more more of myself than I expected I could. Um, and exercise more of those muscles in, in, in this medium than I even thought might, might, might make sense. But it, it's, right. it's more so in post than it is obviously in the planning. Um, the, uh, although it, you know, it shapes to some extent the kinds of questions that you, that you, that you want to oh, ask. Oh, no, but I agree with you completely. When I, I was talking to Alison Elwood about this the other day, who I think is like the best, you know, one of the very best documentarians. Like, yeah. The editing room, you're prosecuting a thesis the whole time and you really have to check and check and then you figure it out in editing, right? So. Yes. And, and in, in, um, so, it, so uh, I mean, we didn't know that the family would be that revealing and that honest. And, right. and they, they wound up giving us a, a, you know, a, a kind of a, a object lesson in forgiveness uh, yes. in, 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 a, in a kind of unsentimental, you know, uh, honest version of forgiveness and acceptance um that i that i wasn't prepared for at all until i um until i saw that footage and and uh, uh and it was translated and i knew what they were saying um, well it's a fascinating so, thing yeah so you got that and you started seeing that as and and you as the audience and slash director decided to yeah. lean into that along with of course you know in 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 docs as you know a really great producer nigel sinclair Mark Monroe, a writing producer who's like a dramaturg for for uh, for, uh, for documentaries in a way, and and brought so much to the Beatles eight days a week, um, right. and Pavarotti and and Icarus and other, I mean so many. He just does. He's just he's just a great Paul Crowder, fantastic editor, um, and and a and a team, and uh, um, but what I I just I just love taking the. The, the buckets that sort of editors build of subjects, you know, performances. We looked mm -hmm. at all the performances of Pavarotti and I said, oh, oh, look, we have, we have, um, we have a couple of, you know, uh, of the, where he's, it's the sad clown. We have a, oh, uh, you know, we, have, we, we, we have a, um, older and a younger Laboem, you know, uh, and, and, uh, I said, Oh, look, I started watching and I said, I think if we choose the performances that speak more to periods of his life, 
I think that we're going to feel that he understands, he understands what he's singing about more deeply. Mm -hmm. And I would just look in his eyes and I would say that I, as you know, just as a film director, I just feel like he's connecting. He's a tremendous performer. There's no question about it. He's a brilliant artist. So he's conveying what he feels he needs to about the character. But I was convinced that, um, you know, when he was kind of going through a, uh, a, a, a down period that, that, um, you know, his performance of was more meaningful than when he was singing it as a younger man. And, uh, um, and so, you know, we started to build and structure, uh, around, around those kinds of ideas as well. But, you know, you asked me about, about learning and growing and I, I, I'm in my own way. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, you know, co-founder and chairman, co-chairman with Brian Grazer in Imagine Entertainment. And, and what I do influences that our company as well. So I always want to be responsible about what I'm doing. I don't want to be reckless, but it's important to me to, to take risks. Henry Fonda said to me when I was young, a couple things that I carried with me forever. I was, I worked with him when I was 16 or 17 and he was, he was not very talkative, but because he had acted with my father uh, you know, on Broadway in Mr. Roberts, he felt yes. like he, he, we had a connection and, um, and he was, he was willing to talk to me and he, he saw that I was interested in film and he said, well, look, if you he said, I, here, here were the two things I took away. He said, if you love movies, then you should be a director um, because it's not really an actor's medium. Um, and that's why he said, I go mm -hmm. back to the stage, you know, just, uh, you know, as often as I can because there it's really the actor's medium. It's the, it's the playwright and the actor. He said, the other thing is he said, if you have a career, a long career, and you have control over what you're doing, if you're, if you're not taking legitimate risks, you know, every couple of years, you're, 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 you're not really trying. You're, you're, you're not really giving the medium um, everything it deserves from yes. you. And, um, and, uh, and so in my own kind of quiet way, you know, I try to, you know, I, I, I think about the audience, but I, but I also am, am exploring and trying things that I think are difficult. And, um, and, and yes. I'm, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm finding partners who are willing to back that. Um, my partner, Brian Grazer is willing to, and has great ideas yes. along those lines and is very supportive. And, um, you know, and I'm enjoying that. I mean, sometimes, sometimes that means jumping on board solo, uh, when, uh, to, you know, where I, I came in and, and, um, of course, uh, Lord and, and Miller had had, a uh, uh, you know, uh, creative differences. Uh, I, I understood the circumstances and I was asked if I could come in and I did. And it was, it was kind of a, it was kind of a wild cinematic adventure for me. Uh, and I knew it was risky. Um, but, but it was a, but I, I, I felt like it was going to be satisfying as a, as a life experience that, and a creative experience. That makes total sense to me as, 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 a, as your mission, just in the last couple of minutes, I just have a couple more things before we let you go. Um, uh, it's interesting about the Pavarotti thing. You know, when we were talking about an actor who shows up late or how you deal with it, it's fascinating, right? Because if you think about Pavarotti and Jordan's last dance as a doc and the Andre, the giant, they're, they're do that documentary Pavarotti is really exploring sort of what does this person need to sacrifice and give up in his life in order to, or what does he believe he needs to in mm -hmm. order to give us what he gives us. And, and you drew that out amazingly well, I think of the, the movie. Uh, 
it's a real answer kind of to some of the things I was asking you. So Ron, I'm going to post this on the, it is going to be the first episode of the, of the new year and it'll come out, you know, the first week of January. And mm-hmm. I just wanted to sort of ask you as we head into the new year as a, uh, as a, a final question, which is like, as an, as an artist and as a, a person in the world right now, like what, what's animating you? What's most important to you? And as, as we move forward into a new, uh, era here as a, a country and, and a world as a, as a, as a storyteller and as a, as a person, where are, where are you right now? And, and what well, are your, what are your immediate hopes? I mean, there are a, a couple of levels. One, it's just, there's tremendous un, uncertainty, you know, um, as to what, what technology means, what global warming means, what it all means yes. to, you know, to what, what, what's a human being going to be in another hundred years or, or sooner. Um, uh, and, and so those are all, that's unsettling stuff. And you, you, you look back at the Renaissance, the industrial revolution and other, other giant, um, sort of sea changes. And, you know, those are, those are always troubling times and with filled with, uh, with, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of pain and suffering as, as, because change is difficult for us humans. Yes. So, so just for our own family, it's just trying to keep our wits about us and stay, sort of, uh, you know, keep our eye on the prize, which is um, peace of mind, um, you know, um, our our own love for one another and supporting one another and that kind of thing. On a larger scale, whether it's through work, and I know Brian feels the same way about what we're trying to do at Imagine. Um, It's, I am, I'm really interested. For a long time, I've, I've kind of wished for what I would characterize as a militant middle, which which is problem solving, that is, um, uh, and and so this is political, but not but not really. And I did a documentary about the fires in Paradise, California, and uh, and and this, seeing this town trying to cope with this long tail of suffering. And one of the 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 really valuable lessons they gave us is that people just put their differences aside. And and you know and agreed to solve problems and they really did move the needle and accomplish some things that they otherwise couldn't have as a as a as a community. Now it's easy to agree that you know we want to come back from this devastating fire. That that's a, that's it. But it was remarkable to see what they got done, and um, and 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 uh, um, and how close those who remained became as a community through that effort. And so yes. I, for a long time I. I'm, um, this is getting to be a long answer. We had a- No, it's a fine answer. And by the way, if people want to hear you talk about uh, Rebuilding Paradise, you did a great podcast with Elvis Mitchell where people can hear you really talk about that movie. But, oh, but, thank but, you. To, but, uh, but I had no, a, but, so then we had a, we had a screening at the White House uh, in, in, when, in, during the Clinton administration of Apollo 13. He was right. just getting ready to run again uh, for second term. And, uh, you know, and a few of us had a chance to talk to him uh, after the movie. And I, and I just said, well, what, what's the difference? What have you noticed? What surprised you um, about transitioning from being governor of Arkansas to president of the United States? And he yeah. said, well, here's the big frustration. I thought I could get more done, but <clears throat> ideas are so polarized here. And because the media won't cover anything that isn't an argument. So this was what, 1995? Um, and he said, it forces anybody yes. who's trying to get anything done 
to to you know to find a good argument and make it and make it loud. Um, and uh, it's it's he said you can't. I remember him very vividly. He said you can't you can't govern that way. You can't you can't accomplish anything like that. He said you know you can't run a hospital or a school. Or he looked at me and he said you couldn't direct a movie that way. You know you've got to find solutions, common solutions. And of course that was Clinton, more of a you know center centrist yes. kind of a guy. But I am I'm really looking for stories that make that argument. And I'm and I and I you know I don't know if it's if I'm being idealistic, but it, but I, I would like to see that become an exciting idea. And when I say the militant middle, I'd like to see people get exercised about saying, forget that idea way out over here or way out over there. What, here's what we need to do. Let's, let's get it done, people. Or, or you know, uh, and, and uh, so I'm, you know, in my own way, I'm trying to, I, and I was hoping hillbilly elegy in a way could be that for some people to, to, uh, to, to, to uh, to to build bridges. I'm and um, I'm doing a I'm doing a movie. My next movie is is uh, um, called Thirteen Lives, and it's a scripted recreation of um, the Thai cave rescue a couple of years back, a few years back, um, where an international community came together, worked with an incredibly uh, dedicated, passionate, emotionally connected um, nation um, to you know, miraculously rescue all, all 13, 12 kids and, and their coach, um, um, soccer players from this, from this cave. And, yes. you know, I hope that's a story about problem solving, about coming together and figuring stuff out. I can't wait to hear how you dealt with the, uh, Elon Musk moment and all that. And, uh, um, right, because I think that was didn't Elon suggest a solution? Oh, yeah, yeah, he did. I'll just in, in the middle uh, of that. Uh, I'm sure it's I'll, not. No, in the, no, I'm, I won't skip it. It's fleetingly, very fleetingly. We'll just say <laughs> you have to fleetingly. You just have to fleetingly float that out there. Ron Howard, um, I can't wait to see that movie. As you know, Dave and I have uh, someday we'll find a way to work together. You're uh, you're really an inspiration, man. You're so good at what you do. You're so measured and kind to people. Everybody says it. Uh, you are always looking to find the good in, in people and artists. And, uh, and you're a great North star in that way, man. And, um, and I've loved in the last couple of years, you've been, um, outspoken politically, which is not normal, you know, always been the thing, but the situation demanded it. And, uh, and, and you stepped up to it and, um, thanks for doing the podcast, Ron. You're, Thank you're you. one of the greats. So I really well, appreciate well, I, it. I appreciate it. Back at you, back at you. Hope to see All you right. soon. Yes, sir. Take care, everybody. You can find Ron. He's on uh, Twitter and you can you can find him there. You can find me at Brian Koppelman or email me the moment bk at gmail.com. I won't send scripts to Ron Howard. If you send me a script, I'm throwing it out. I will not send it to Ron. All right, everybody. Thanks. We'll see you next time. Ron, take care. Bye. Be well. Thank you.